Welcome to the Epic Podcast Miniseries in anticipation of the upcoming 2022 Epic Conference in Amsterdam from October 9th through the 12th. I'm your host, Matt Arts, and in this miniseries, we will explore the conference theme of resilience and other salient questions about the practice of ethnography and what it means to build a community. I'll be joined by guests from around the world who are either part of the conference committee or presenters. Hope you enjoy. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Epic mini podcast series in anticipation of the upcoming 2022 conference. I'm here today with Tracy Thomas, David Gorin, and Michael Powell. All three will be presenting uh, at the conference in three different types of sessions. So um, to begin, I'd like to have everybody just introduce themselves. Tracy, would you mind by starting and telling us a little bit about yourself and how you came into the Epic community? Sure. Um so my name is Tracy Thomas. I'm a principal strategic designer at uh, BCG. Um, I'm based out of the Boston office. Um, you know, my first uh, EPIC conference was some time ago. Um, this was, you know, early in my career as a design uh, strategist and, and researcher. Um, and I've always just been connected to the community, um, at least the online community. Um, but just recently, uh, with this upcoming conference with a topic on resilience, I, uh, decided to not only attend, but to, uh, participate as, as a presenter. And so I submitted, um, uh, I, I submitted a Pachakucha presentation. So David, again, we'd like you to introduce yourself. Now I know you come, you know, more from sort of, uh, writing post-production audio field, not, you know, traditional ethnographer, uh, though your project that you're going to talk about is very much ethnographic. Uh, so you're kind of an interesting uh, addition to the group, and we, we really look forward to hearing it. But uh, without spoiling it, I, would you mind telling us all a little about, you know, who you are and how you found Epic? Sure. I'm, I'm David Gorin. I'm a radio producer, audio documentary. I say audio documentary or a podcast producer for people under 40 who have not encountered radio per se. Um, I uh, am on a, a public radio listserv in New York City and Allegra Oxborough, who was part of the Epic community, did an outreach uh, to say, to ask if, uh, people to participate in the wildcard track. And so I thought about it and I thought that my project would qualify and make an interesting uh, presentation for Epic. Michael, again, would you mind introducing yourself, telling us you know, a little bit about your work as a consultant and how you came to the Epic community? Yeah, thanks. Um, my name is uh, Michael Powell. I'm a, I'm a cultural anthropologist. I, uh, I work on a, a range of different kinds of projects um, independently um, and in partnership with some other consulting groups. Uh, most recently with uh, the Practica Group. Um, I've done a lot of other kinds of uh, different projects. I, I, I spent a lot of years uh, working with design firms, um, doing things uh, on uh, everyday kind of destinations like grocery stores and uh, retail uh, destinations. Um, I have a PhD in cultural anthropology um, from Rice University. So I've been doing uh, professional ethnographic research and strategy consulting for uh, about 16 years now, 
um, and and have been involved in anthropology and ethnography uh, for for even longer. Um, and so I, I I've been uh, aware of and uh, part of the epic community for quite some time now. I I spent a lot of time working on um, uh, papers uh, the 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 uh, editing papers and things like that kind of in the background. And then I had a chance to, uh, to write an essay and, and present at, um, a few years back. And I just keep being, trying to be involved with this, uh, with Epic uh, and being part of the, the conversation. So I've got a few things going on uh, for the Epic conference this year too. So, you know, I think it's interesting. Uh, one, of, one of the interesting things about Epic is the diversity of the community. And so if you think of it even today, right, anthropologist, designer, uh, audio production, audio documentarian. So that's the kind of beauty um, that that community, that this community br really brings together. And um, it's one of the exciting things, you know, of, of course, that is different than many other conferences. Um, now, since all of you will be attending and presenting this year, I'm just curious to get your input uh, on the theme if if you choose to weigh in. I know, Tracy, you already mentioned the theme. Um, so it sounded like that was what particularly called you. Was that the case? Yes, that was the case. Um, just to kind of piggyback off of what Michael was saying, um, as a uh, strategic designer, I've worked across many different industries doing um, a range of work around strategy and customer experience. Um, but when I saw the the theme on resilience, I moved a, lo moved a little bit away from um, uh, professional work, you know, casework that I was working on. And I took um, uh, a different lens. Um, so what I'm presenting is something very personal to me, um, my own personal experience uh, dealing with resilience, um, particularly around the pandemic. Um, and there were a number of things that I wanted to do a little bit differently. Number one, kind of like turn the research lens inward, right? Um, I'm typically working with clients, uh, gleaning insights about their customers, pain points and everything like that. Um, but yeah, I said, well, what if I turn the, the research lens uh, inward? And um, the other thing was that I, I pushed myself to, um, I guess, like be a little bit more vulnerable, right? To open up more about myself um, and, and my experiences. I do tie it back to my experience as a designer. Um, and I think the third thing was that I challenged myself with the pachakucha. <laughs> um, admittedly, um, you know, I, I saw the, I saw the theme and, you know, I looked at all the deadlines and I was going to, you know, submit uh, another presentation that was related to, uh, to project work. And then I said, Oh, I think Pachakacha is going to be, um, a lot easier, but it's, it's actually not. <laughs> um, it is really hard to get, uh, just like really pithy and succinct and con uh, very clear and concise with your messaging. Um, yeah. So that is. That's a very high level overview. It's that I am, um, you know, sharing a more personal experience about what resilience means um, and tying it back to uh, my role as a designer and strategist. 
Great, great. And, and uh, certainly, certainly, you know, you, know, you could maybe make the argument that few things are more embodied than the sort of autoethnographic experience. And so I want to come back to the point of embodiment in just a bit. But David, I'd also like to ask you because certainly pirate radio would seem like an act of resilience, you know, at least on the part of those you know, who are hosting it. Um, so, so did that, did that factor, factor into, into your, your decision, decision at, all? at all? That was the key factor. When, when I heard about the, the theme, I thought that my project would be a good fit. Um, one, basically, this is sort of a shadow or a grassroots uh, community radio scene that exists because these communities, West Indian, Latino, and in some cases, Orthodox Jewish, they don't have, um, especially for the 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 former, the former two, they don't economically, politically, they don't have access to the system to set up community radio. So it's sort of in the cracks of the dial over the past 25 to 30 years, these stations have taken hold. But there's also an additional condition of resilience that um, when the pandemic hit in 2020, these stations, which, as I said, have been on the air since the mid-90s, um, in this format, they addressed uh, the pandemic in a, in a very personal way targeted to their communities. Stations that would only come on the air in the evenings were suddenly coming on during the day. They would have programming that was very specific to how the uh, pandemic was affecting their communities. They would have quarantine streams, quarantine mixes, there would be COVID calypsos that were performed on the air. There would be shout outs to essential workers in the community. Um, and that has been something that I, the, the COVID piece and the pirates, that's been something that I've been particularly interested in and have been trying to bring to the fore. Yeah, it's really inspiring, uh, you know, story to hear of the work that they were engaged in and, and also the way that you're capturing it. Michael, how about you? Any, anything about the theme? Yeah, the um, I like I like this theme. I'm uh, connecting it uh, through a uh, a tutorial I'm doing on uh, ethnographic interviewing and a and a social event about listening. And I feel like um, there's a certain value in um, the kind of ethnographic research that we do uh, in terms of listening um, and listening to others. And I've been uh, very attuned to um, a concept of, of reciprocity, that in listening, um, we're not just sort of neutral um, observers, but listening, especially the kind of uh, active uh, participatory ethnographic listening that we do participate in, um, provides a kind of value um, both to participants um, to our community, to audiences, um, listening in general is is kind of a undervalued or uh, often misunderstood uh, practice, um, and and I feel uh, very strongly that listening does things. Um, that it's not just it's not just being there, but that we can do things through listening. Um, and, 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 and that, you know, it's not just, you know, I, I work on Tracy and I were, we're both talking about how we, we work on design projects where you translate research into things and you make things. And that is obviously a value too, but the listening itself, I think is, uh, is, is often overlooked. 
and so I, I feel like there's a there's a power in that. Um, and there's many stories I think you know I and, and many other ethnographers can share about the the value we offer to the people we listen to. Um, and 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 I feel like there's the, there's a sense of uh, resilience that we can kind of um, kind of share uh, with with others with people that who are listened to. Oftentimes, like what David was just talking about, people who are not uh, listened to enough. Um, people whose voices are are not often heard, um, and are uh, need need ways to 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 be heard, um, and to have their have their voice uh, kind of be amplified. You know, as um, in your case, as an anthropologist, there's obviously you know a great deal of uh, value put into observation, as you kind of alluded to in the beginning. But there's of course also value in listening, as you say. Um, but I'm curious to know, um, just to build on what you were what you were just saying, you know, in the course of the pandemic, our listening went to essentially remote, right? It wasn't, it was sort of the embodied, like truly in-person experience where we're in the room with the other listening, able to sort of sense all of the context. Do you draw any distinction there, you know, or or is, is, you know, in that one adds value uh, over the other, or do you feel that listening maybe attentively or properly as, as however you may sort of instruct it can transcend that kind of barrier? That's always, that, that is a great question. You know, there, there are certainly limitations like right now with, uh, you know, not, us not being in person uh, together. And there, there are things that we can um, pay attention to that, that in person that you just can't uh, on, uh, on video calls, of course. But then there, there's also always going to be that element of um, just engaging with people um, very deeply. Uh, and, and that is something that I feel like, you know, during the pandemic times, during during our Zoom times, uh, you know, we can we we can focus in on, on what people have to say. Uh, and in, in some ways, you could argue that, you know, with the. With, with like a, a format like what we're doing right now, that you, you have to be kind of laser focused on on that individual voice, um, and and that person that you're paying attention to. Yeah, I just I just had a reaction to that. Um, you know, I think listening, you are also like tapping into other um, other senses, right? So I mean, you talked about. You talked about um, the Zoom calls, and I think there's this need to engender trust, right? So it's, you know, being able to hear their voice, being able to make eye contact, right? Being able to kind of feel comfortable in that environment. And I think that's a a really, like, great opportunity to... um, to think about or to probe on more when you're, you know, you're thinking about listening, you know, like what other senses are you going to like, um, pull, uh, pull on to engender that trust to enable others to feel like comfortable and, and, and to open up. So, uh, you know, I'm just reflecting back on the height of the pandemic and having to, kind of jump into this like virtual environment and, and, and what that was like, but, 
not being able to see someone is, you know, is like jarring to me now, you know, before I could like turn off my video camera, but um, just being able to, you know, see someone and see their body language and make that eye contact has been really important. So, you know, for both of you who do this, um, who you know, do this kind of work in the context of designing, as you both described, um, you know, for be it for a corporation or as a consultant, you know, things have changed because of the pandemic, and it's plausible that you know managers or clients may not want to pay for sort of the in-person ethnographic experience. So, what would you say, you know, to potentially anybody who's listening, you know, potentially, you know, in a maybe a managerial kind of leadership role who themselves are not a researcher? Um, you know, why, why do we think that the embodied sort of practice of ethnography is critical to get back to um, after this period of, you know, the pandemic? That's a great question. Uh, I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll try a response. I'm sure Tracy has, has got even more insights. But you, you know, the, it, it, as much as we are um, distant, um, there are still many, many things that we do, um, with our bodies, <laughs> with, in person, in places, um, you know, whether it's, uh, whether it's a product that we're using or consuming or an experience that, that we're participating in, um, you know, the, we, we can, we can talk, we can communicate and have meetings, um, from a distance, and that's fine, but you know, I still need to make breakfast for my kids this morning. I still need to drive them to school. Uh, they are now back to school. Um, all of these things continue happening in person. Um, I think this is a this is a this is a moment, uh, and and I think there's a great value in the opportunity to do research, some research from a distance because it, it does allow us to find a more diverse audience potentially of people in different places and, and coming from different places. And there's that flexibility. So I, I do feel like we can do more, um, but I don't think it should be in, in place of also um, going to places, um, seeing and interacting with people. Um, so I, 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 I think there's a benefit um, in this. Um, in this experience. Um, but it, I don't know, Tracy, what it, uh, what, what's been your experience? Yeah, I, you know, when I think about ethnography, I think one of the biggest goals is to capture the lived experience. And it's hard to capture that lived experience with just a, a digital interface. You know, you, you need to be, you know, in that environment. Um, it's not just what the person is saying, but where they are, the things around them, the people around them. Um, and, you know, this is how we are going to uncover the, you know, the attitudes and mindsets, the, the, the pain points. Um, I think technology can enable to do you to do that, you know, to um, bridge that line of sight into uh, the person's environment and the lived experience. But um, I do believe that, you know, actually like being there, you know, like with the person is going to be a lot richer than it just being um, in a digital interface. And 
I'm, I'm kind of thinking of like the metaverse. <laughs> um, the, the metaverse is like taking our 2D virtual experience into the 3D space. You know, I think there's things, um, you know, uh, that's going to happen in the future. It's coming down the pike uh, in terms of uh, digital technologies that will enable that. Um, but I think we all agree that, um, you know, kind of being um, being in person um, uh, kind of, yeah, kind of being there, um, being in that environment um, and being with the person is going to be a much uh, richer engagement than it just being um, in, in this type of format. And now, you know, building on that, Tracy, you, you also spoke of earlier with your session about wanting to sort of bring, you know, to turn the lens inward, uh, to share some of the vulnerabilities. And it, you know, it reminds me that, you know, as researchers, we of course do need to continually do that to uncover our biases and, and to recognize, you know, our own limitations in the process. Uh, but I'm curious to know, you know, has this reminded you you know, of anything that you need to be doing, actually say in your professional practice, you know, like ha has this act of putting together this session where you're, you're reflecting on yourself taught you anything new? I think it just like reinforced like why design is so important. Um, so for example, you know, one of the things I talk about in my experience is uh, really embracing ambiguity. You know, no one would have... Uh, thought that the pandemic was going to hit, right? And it just turned everything upside down for us, right? And we had to like pivot and do things differently, right? And so it's like, how do you, how do you embrace the fears? How do you embrace the unknown? Um, that was one thing. Um, the other thing was, so when I went, when the pandemic hit, you know, I was just by myself. Uh, I was living alone, quarantining alone, but it was this idea of um, connection, um, social connection that was really important. And so when you think about design, you know, just having like having that social connection, bringing diverse voices together. And that is what's gonna like help you to um, see new opportunities or new solutions. And in my case, just help me to move forward, um, during the, the pandemic. Um, what are other things that, uh, I, I think also it helped me to slow down, right? Um, to slow down and to look at things from, um, from different perspectives, right? And I think that is, a very key tenet of design that you really have to open the aperture, right? And and not be so um uh so laser focused, I guess, or you know, like have tunnel vision. And so as I was quarantining by myself trying to figure out this like new world uh in front of me, I had to I had to do a lot more experimentation. There was a lot more uh discovery going on. Um, so yeah, I would say if anything, it, it really reminded me of, of the design process in general. So we are getting, you know, back to a conference, you know, very much in person. Um, I know Michael, you said that, 
you've been behind the scenes for many years, you know, helping to edit papers. Tell me, how does it feel to to be back or to soon, you know, knowing that you'll soon be back in person and what that experience will be like for a conference? Yeah, I'm excited um, to see see people uh, in person again. Um, I feel like slowly I've been moving back into those kinds of experiences. Um, and it's exciting and, and I've never been to Amsterdam, so I'm <laughs> excited to, uh, to go places and, and, and see people. Um, you know, I, I do, I, I do hope people have kind of taken, learned lessons. Uh, I, I like, you know, Tracy's points about, uh, the, the possibilities opened up by this, this pandemic and maybe the, the way that we see things and, and hear things. Um, the way we kind of uh, experience things, you know, I, I think anytime you you move away from you kind of you go into quarantine, whether it's uh, self-imposed or because of a, a global uh, pandemic, <laughs> that when you do come back to, to the world uh, of experiences that that I, I think it is it's it's a moment to sort of refresh your senses um, or I hope so. Um, and I know that I've, I've had similar kinds of experiences. Last night, uh, I went to a, a concert, uh, and and it, I, I don't know that I've I've been to a concert like that in in quite a long time, uh, and it, it's just it's just a different feel. Um, it's just a completely different feel versus what I, basically we were taking it for granted um, in the past. So, um, have you gotten back in person with with consulting? Finally, yes, yes. Uh, I took a trip um, last month um, to uh, to Phoenix. So, talk about tactile experiences. Um, uh, I live in Houston, and uh, the only place warmer than than Houston right now is is Phoenix. So, uh, being in a hundred or fifteen degree heat, you uh, you know that it's interesting actually because um as i you know I, i'm doing a tutorial on interviewing um and, and there was something about the the pandemic experience of research that did kind of help me focus in on what i find valuable um and and also challenging about ethnographic interviewing um in that you know when you're there in person um, you get to take note of different dimensions of the experience that you might not typically ask about with participants. So case in point, in, in Phoenix, uh, it would be easy to overlook on a Zoom interview uh, the dimension of, of the heat and how that, uh, how that impacts um, your life and, and your lived experience. Um, another thing I had always, uh, or I'd continued to take note of, um, is this sense that, um, again, are we, are we asking people questions and, and doing, um, doing research that authentically engages, uh, through listening to people, or are we just trying to extract information? Um, and, and there's just so much research happening these days where I feel like we, we kind of 
fall into that that trap. I've got a list of questions. We need to run through this. And and I kind of call that the extraction model, just trying to extract information from you, as opposed to, um, you know, being there, sitting with it, uh, as Tracy mentioned, slowing down, opening the aperture. Um, and, and I feel like that is really core um, to what uh, ethnography, uh, ethnographic listening is is really all about. Yeah, no, that's, a, I think, a great point, the kind of dichotomy of extraction versus, you know, maybe a, a true genuine dialogue. And um, David, if I could throw that over to you, um, does that resonate at all? You know, obviously, you're trying to tell the stories through audio, and so conversation seems critical to that, you know, versus just trying to pull out some facts that you need to tell your story. So how do you go about really kind of crafting that genuine dialogue? Well, I think a personal connection is key, sort of, um, I don't know who said it, but the the phrase listening is an act of love resonates with me. So I, I think my early, my early influences in college, I, I did have some oral history courses which and I've done some oral histories since. So when I sit down to an interview, I I'm in my in my field where where we're making music documentaries. I've worked with as an engineer. I've worked with producers who are primarily right. They have five questions and they get what they need and they run out the door. I really take the opposite approach. You know, it's it could go on for several hours. And I also, I go out within the community. I talk to people on the street on doing something about pirate radio. Uh, first, I approached it sort of as as drawing from radio monitoring practices, radio hobbyist practices to sort of make lists and, and listen to what's on the air. But in terms of finding people in the community, the people who run the stations often don't want to engage because they're in an illegal activity. But I found by just going through the neighborhood, talking to people, they say, oh, you know, down the street, I think there's a station behind, you know, that door. Or, you know, oh, no, I think my brother does something with that. And and, and my, my greatest connection came through, I was just sort of in frustration out on the streets again. And I was just recording sound in the middle of the neighborhood. And a man called me over I said, "Oh, are you? What are you? Are you recording because of the unrest in Haiti today? There was a a rise in the gas tax, and the, there were some riots, and the Marines were called in." So I said, "No, I, I haven't heard anything about that." You know, I, and I told him what I'm doing, and he agreed. And I said, "No, I don't know anything about that, but I am doing this project about your community radio." Um, and he agreed to talk to me. And in the middle of the conversation, he revealed that he was a member of one of the pirate radio stations. So sometimes just getting out there and connecting with people is, is the best way to go. Well, I appreciate taking the time. Good luck at the conference. Thanks for listening. And be sure to check out the Epic website at epicpeople.org. And follow, subscribe, and share to help us build some anticipation for this year's conference being held in Amsterdam from October 9th through the 12th. I'm your host, Matt Arts. Until next time.